Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And he's saying these scoffers, they, they willingly forget that event. Because in a moment, for 40 days and 40 nights, when that rain started, they were still scoffing. Telling Noah, you're a madman, you're a weirdo, you're a Jesus freak. And the judgment came upon them. And this, scoffers willingly forget. Today on Truth in Christ, God's promise is not slack. Welcome to our study for today. Where is the promise of his coming? This is the question of the scoffers. In the thinking of these scoffers, Christians have talked about Jesus coming for 2,000 years and he still hasn't come back yet. However, as Christians, we know the scoffers dismiss the mercy and long-suffering of our God and insist that because they have never seen a widespread judgment of God, that there will never be one. As students of the Bible, we know that this is not true. Let's join Pastor Rob now with today's message. Good health, we may live to be 80 to 90 years old, or if you're really fortunate, you live to be 100 years old. And you're, you're, you're begging for God to take you. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've known 100-year-old people who are like, man, I don't, want, I don't know why I'm here. I just want to go. Everything aches. I can't get out of bed. I just want to go. <laughs> but where is the promise of his coming? Do you know that Jesus is coming? Never before in the history of the world have we been closer to his his coming than we are right now. There are so many things that have happened scripturally, things that are lining up that have never been lined up before. Before, even in previous generations, things are getting closer and closer. Jesus said, they're like birth pangs. These things are coming, and they're coming, and they're coming, and pretty soon, it's going to happen. Now, of course, when I'm thinking of the second, you know, the, the coming of Jesus, it, we have to remember there's two different ways to think about the, the coming of, of, of Jesus. We know that there is the, the rapture of the church. And if you're new here, and this sounds weird to you, please see me afterwards. I'll share it with you. But there is the rapture of the church, which could happen at any moment. It could happen before we're done here today. And I hope it does. Honestly. Where we are met we meet Christ in the air, and we are with him for uh, at least seven years until he comes back physically to the earth, which the Bible talks about, his physical second coming. Two different events. The rapture could happen any time. We meet him in the air in new bodies. You can read about that in First Thessalonians 4. You can read about it in First Corinthians 15. It's there. I won't rehash that. 
but we are taken up. But when he comes back after this seven-year tribulation, he's coming down to the earth. Revelation 19, verse 10, hits it right on the head. When Jesus comes down, Zechariah 12 through 14 talks about when Jesus comes physically to the earth and he sets up his millennial reign for a thousand years in, on this earth. On this earth. Are you worried about global warming? I've said this before. When Jesus, is coming, when Jesus comes back, there's nothing in the scripture that says, when he comes back, the first thing he has to address is all these all coastlines that have been flooded because of, you know, no, he doesn't. Are you worried about the sun burning out? The sun's going to be there. Still going to be there. And then there's this physical second coming of Jesus to the earth, very different. And in this verse, when it says, where is the promise of his coming? That word there is parousia. It literally means Jesus' physical return to the earth, not to be confused with the rapture of the church, which precedes it. Do you follow me? The rapture must occur first, and then the tribulation period, and then the second full coming physically, tangibly to the earth with all of us in our new bodies to rule and reign with him in Jerusalem for a thousand years. But we're going to talk about what happens after that here shortly. So, verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. That by the word of God, the word there literally means logos. We know that Jesus is the logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it tells us in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the word of God. The word means logos. It's the representation of God. It's the, it's the very thought of God. It's, it's the representation. It's where we get our word logo. When you see the golden arches on, on Highway 90 as you're going toward Buffalo or Syracuse, and you see the golden arches, you know exactly exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get the you know, chicken McNuggets or you're going to get a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese. You know what you're expecting. You know what's coming. That means something to you. You can smell the french fries as soon as you see the sign. But Jesus Christ, he is the Logos, the representation, the very thought of God. He is the Logos. So by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. And it speaks of the Genesis account, which we won't go into fully here. But remember, when God created all things, he said, you can look at this in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and it talks about the creation event. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created all things, and he spoke them into existence. Before, there was nothing. How great is your God? What can your God do? Well, my God can speak when there's nothing, and all of a sudden there is something. Can anybody top that? And then somebody says, well, yeah, we can do that. Well, use your own material. You know, if you think you can, you know. So anyway, so the creation event, he spoke it into existence. It came to pass. And by the way, he said it was very good. It's good. It's very good. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, by Jesus Christ. He was the one. They were for him. By him they were created and for him. And it is by him that all things consist. We're going to look at that. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, it says this, He, Jesus, is the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created. Notice that. For by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. 
Notice, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. All things consist through him. In other words, everything is held together. It's placed together. It's set in the same place. It is... um, By composition, it is held together, held together. Scientists like to call this the cosmic glue, or they call it the God particle. They don't understand how an atom can stay together, because I don't understand all this because I'm not a scientist, so just bear with my simple-mindedness. But an atom, from what I understand, by its what's included, the electrons and the protons, it should be blowing apart. It should be exploding, but there's something holding this power together. It's almost like it's just got it in a, in a, in a it's holding it together. And they're, they're trying to figure out what that part, what is that force? And finally, they just call it the God particle. There's something holding this whole thing together when it should just be exploding. And who holds it together? It says right here in Colossians, by him all things consist. They're held together, they're composed, they're held together, they're compacted. And guess what? One day, he is going to let it all go. He's going to take, remove his hand from the power that holds the atom together, and we're going to read about what happens here shortly. But this is what nuclear fission is all about. That's why scientists are so excited about nuclear power, because what they do is they take that atom, and through a series of, uh, um, of scientific processes, they try they divide that atom. And when they divide that atom, there is such a great amount of, of energy that's released it's nuclear fission. They, 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 or, uh, they, they separate that atom. The power is so immense that they got to introduce iron rods into that process to regulate it so that it doesn't blow up the whole world or blow up that area and leave a big dark spot, right? That's what, nu- that's what nuclear power is. Those iron rods, they, 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 can, they can monitor that, that reaction, and that's why it's such a, a huge deal. That's why we had Chernobyl. That's why we had Three Mile Island. When things go awry, those iron rods, for some reason, something happens, and the the process goes haywire. But it's through Jesus. He holds those things together. He holds those things together. Verse 5, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, by which the water, the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. We know that in Genesis 6 the world was incredibly wicked, It says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He knew that it was going to happen, but he was grieved in his heart. He didn't learn anything new. He knew this would happen. But the Lord says, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, the creeping thing and the birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, notice, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you remember the rest of the event that God instructed Noah to build an ark and two of every uh, creature and then seven uh, pairs of other uh, unclean animals, they all boarded the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days and every living thing that was not in the ark died. And he's saying these scoffers, they, they willingly forget that event because in a moment, for 40 days and 40 nights when that rain started, they were still scoffing. Telling Noah, you're a madman, you're a weirdo, you're a Jesus freak. And the judgment came upon them. And this, scoffers willingly forget. 
But notice verse 7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. God destroyed this, this, uh, this current earth. He destroyed it with water. And when that water subsided, but now he's saying, at the end, at the end, at the very end, I'm going to destroy this whole earth and the heavens. It'll be consumed in fire. But you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, you you won't suffer the effects of that, of course, because there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But I want you to circle a couple verses in this chapter. Circle verses 7, circle verses 10, and verse 12, because these are the only places in the New Testament that depicts the destruction of the world by fire. The world by fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on, and him who sat on it, whose, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So the earth, this present earth and heaven, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, and after the, the great white throne judgment, after all of this, the Bible says that God is going to dissolve this current heavens and the earth. And at the great white throne, the heaven and the earth, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away from Christ. And then Revelation chapter 21. I'm just going to read the first four verses for you. Because this is what we have to look forward to. After the thousand-year reign of Jesus, it says, Now I saw heaven, John says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. And there were also no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so we see that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth at the end of that thousand-year reign that we will be here on this physical earth. But they willingly forget, these scoffers, these false teachers, they willingly forget what had happened way back when. And just because from our perspective it seems like a long time doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's just we haven't, we've been uh, here quite a long time from our perspective. But notice verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. And the reason for this is because God dwells outside of time. He dwells in eternity. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says this, For thus says the high and lofty one, who what? Who inhabits eternity whose name is holy. He, he's outside of this physical property of time that we're encapsulated in. He can see it from the end, from the beginning. That's why he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's seen it all. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He's the only one. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes I get so excited. Love it. But how can you adequately measure eternity? You can't, because it never ceases. It always goes on. And, and so in Psalm 90, just want to read a few things to you. I would encourage you to read the entire psalm. I, had, I wanted to read the whole thing to you because it's really sweet and wonderful, but just a couple of verses. Moses wrote this psalm, Psalm 90, and it says this, for a thousand years, and he's speaking to God, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like a watch in the night. It, it, just, it goes like this. It's like it's already happened from your perspective, God. Because he's outside of time. And then I love with the exhortation in verse 12, he says, As a result of this, so teach us to number our days, that we may gain, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. How much time do I got? What am I doing with my time? Am I just frivolously doing silly things? Or am I really 
focused on really what I'm here for? Are we actively pursuing family and friends and coworkers at the right time and in the right season and all that? I get it, but are you actively, is it the plan, is it the, the desire of your heart to reach people? Because time is running short. It's running shorter now than it's ever been. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack. He doesn't delay. He doesn't slumber concerning his promise. God's made a lot of promises, and he promised that not only would he return for us to take us off this earth, but he also promised of a new heavens and a new earth at the end of his millennial reign where this current heavens will be and earth will be dissolved. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering or patient toward us. Notice this, I love this, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's heart. He doesn't want anyone to slip away from him. But we do of our own volition. We do of our own choice. We say, no, God. The fool has said in his heart, no, God. I'm going to get there a better way. I'm a good person. I gave to you know charities, and I've done all these wonderful things. You have to accept me. He's like, no, I don't. Don't have to accept you. You can do all those beautiful, wonderful things, and yet if you don't receive Christ, you are not going to be entered into heaven. It's not possible. So it's not about our work so much as it is knowing him and loving him and letting him do the work in you. Isn't that wonderful? But he's not slack. And it goes all the way when he says he's not slack concerning his promise. And that takes us right back to verse 4 of this same chapter where there scoffers will say, where is the promise? He's spoken about this for many years. Where's his promise? Don't see it. Things are just continuing on. I live, I die. The next generation lives, dies. The next generation lives, dies. And yet God knows all of these things, and his plan isn't altered one bit. And see, the devil, he loves to lie And he loves to lull us to sleep with ease and convenience and with smooth talk. And he gets you to doubt the truth. And to get you to doubt that there's absolute truth. But is Jesus trustworthy? Has he ever been unfaithful? No, he is not. In fact, in 2 Timothy, it says this. He says, this is a faithful saying, Timothy, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. With him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Notice, he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful and true. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 3 that he is the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back in his second physical coming to the earth, what does it say? John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. To think differently, that's what repentance means. Nobody likes that word. When you see somebody out in the corner with a Bible saying, Repent, repent, you know, most people, even Christians, are like, Ugh. You know, my grandmother, my mother used to tell me you can get a lot more with honey than you can with, uh, with vinegar, right? So we don't need to scare people. Um, there's enough frightful things just reading the word of God to them, honestly. We don't need to add to it. But it's not his will that any should perish. 
But it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This, uh, this phrase, day of the Lord, is really an extended period of time. It's not like a 24-hour period. It's a, it's a period of time. And it begins after the rapture of the church and continues through the tribulation period, through the millennium, and culminates when God creates this new heavens and the new earth that's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 21. And this phrase, the day of the Lord, it occurs many times in the Bible. And there are two phases of, the, of this future day of the Lord. One is a phase of judgment, which we know, the great tribulation period. That's a phase, uh, that's a tribulation, that's where it, it's, it's not good. And, and there's a lot spoken in the Bible about the judgment portion of the day of the Lord. It's, it's seven years of, of, of nasty, horrible things. And yet phase two is the blessing when the millennial kingdom where there is light and it lasts for a thousand years rather than seven years of chaos and total destruction. I like that. It's almost like God's saying, seven years or a thousand years, what would you prefer? (laughs) I'll take the thousand years of blessing. You know, that's what I want. But there's so many scriptures concerning this. It it is. The the, the day of the Lord is predominantly a, a time of God's wrath and vengeance on an earth that has rejected Christ and that has rejected his word. In Isaiah chapter 13, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, beginning in verse 9, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible, or those who are awesome, in the world's eyes anyway. And these are horrible things that are coming. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men's servants, not my maid servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And that has happened and is happening. And I will show, here it is, the wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming, before the parousia, of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that frighten you? If you're not born again this morning, there's some awful things coming. And that's the bad news. And it's awful because I deserve that. Before I came to Christ, and even now actually, I deserve that judgment. And that's just a physical judgment. And what happens after the judgment? Now we're talking about an eternity separated from God and hell. And it's even worse because it's not just a physical seven-year period now. Now we're talking about eternity. So how important is it for us to make our calling and election sure? How important it is to make the decision today, Lord, I want to be all in with you. I want to be, my heart wants to be completely governed by you. I want everything you want from me, Lord. I want to give everything, whatever that means. Even if it means I'm working a full-time job, as long as I'm being a light there when I can be, and I'm being a faithful dad, I'm being a faithful father, I'm being a faithful grandpa, a faithful grandmother. Do those things until he returns. Do those things, because what's coming outside of Christ, if you don't know Jesus, there is a horrible thing 
on the earth and afterwards that you've got to look forward to. And it's nothing to look forward to, folks. And it's no game. It's no just some kind of story that's been made up. These things are going to happen. You can look at Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 8. Um, it, it even talks about even more the, of these horrible things. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in Peter's second epistle. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.